Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for another morning. We thank you, God, for sunny Sundays. We thank you for spring weather and that you've brought it. God, we are asking this morning that the truth, the powerful, life-changing truth of God would touch us. Would get inside of us, cut us up, deal with us, convict us of our sins, give us life through faith in Christ, and establish us as men and women of God. But that cannot, will not, does not happen apart from the truth being used by the Spirit. And so, God, we ask for it. Give us clarity today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7, as we are moving right along in the Exodus story, you know that God has promised to create a people that will be His, that love Him, worship Him, and will be for His glory. But they are trapped, they are in slavery, and so they are uh, not free, they are not where God has said He would take them to yet, and they are slaves. And so what we are reading about is God's fulfilling of His purpose in Exodus chapter 7. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has them in slavery. And it's time now for them to be set free. As we get into the Word today, I want to remind you of a great truth that there is no, 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 there is no maturity in Christ. And for all of you that are here today who even, who even dare wear the title of Christian, there is no maturity in Christ, no growth in Christ apart from The Word of God taking root in you. Now, everybody may not be at home reading the Bible all the time, but the truth of the Word of God must come to rest in your heart and soul for you to become a growing, mature believer in Christ. That cannot happen. Either through hearing it, listening to it, learning it, thinking about it, memorizing it, reading it. However, the truth of the Word of God must come into you. If you're here today and you have been struggling for days and weeks and months with why don't you just love the things of God like you used to, could it be that your soul is just so starved and deprived of truth? Could it be you're not being fed? Could it be that the million other things have consumed you to the point that this is clearly not your life and sustenance now? And I want to remind you that there is no growth No maturing in God apart from truth. That's why we should have a resolve about us. If anything else, that we would be here to hear the word preached from from your preacher who wants you to to get the word of God. I say all that to say that, that it was about a year ago when some of our young adults, college students came and asked, could we start like a, a college aged Bible study? And we have started that about a year ago. It meets every two weeks and we have seen some um, great fruit from this and a, and a great number of people coming. Still quite a few who, are, who, who slack on being involved with something like this and, and are not involved in, in Bible study in other ways, which is, which is very troubling. Uh, but we do have many coming and getting involved. We've been walking through the book of Romans. We've hit every verse in the book of Romans. And now we're into the middle of chapter 8 this past Wednesday night. Chapter 8 of Romans told us in verse 7 that those who are in the flesh are hostile to God. 
hostile to God. And I want to remind you here today of this great reality that is in the world. You either love God or you hate Him. And I realize that in this day, hate looks differently. But there are many people in the world who are just okay with God, don't give Him much mind or attention. The Bible says that you are hostile toward Him. It goes on to say in the very next verse that those who are in the flesh cannot please God because of the hostility. Well, one would then ask, well, then how do I come to know God? And that's where the whole message of the, of the love of God and the truth of God and the gospel shines forth in the scriptures of, of that God has sent His Son to rescue us from that position, to remove the hostility and forgive us of our sins and bring us into a relationship with God. That we would live to please Him. That we would not be hostile with Him. That we would love Him, obey Him, be in relationship with Him. We've been learning that in the college group Bible study. Well, today in the book of Exodus, all the way from Romans 8 to, to Exodus 7, we see this being played out. We have God and his man Moses speaking for his people, Israel, coming out of Pharaoh. And it is time for uh, them to walk up to the line and, 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 if you will, get face to face. And God's going to say what he's going to say. And what is Pharaoh going to do? How is he going to respond? What will be his reaction? What will be his response? In many ways, this is the world that we're living in, right? Many, many people and many, many of you are living lives like God is not the most important thing. It doesn't really matter. I don't treasure Him. I'm not in love with God and who He is and His glory and what He's done for me in Christ. And there will come a point. I loved it when L star baseball player Jeff Gardner tweeted yesterday, everybody will bow their knee. You bow it, you, you bow it now in faith and love and worship. Or you'll bow it later. But everybody will. And so we see Pharaoh being dealt with by God. What we're entering on here in the book of Exodus are what you know as the ten plagues. The ten plagues of Israel. The ten plagues are ten times in the book of Exodus of Moses going to Pharaoh and, and showing him his power. Now, oftentimes you think that the plagues are most seen as, as punishments. And they, and they are that in a sense. But they're not all these harsh, harsh punishments. What the plagues are more than they are punishments is that they are God saying, you don't want to contend with me. It is God letting it be known to anybody that wants to get in the way, do not oppose me. It's a message really that is lacking in our world today. It's something that we're scared to say. We think that it makes God look mean or or, or proud. But when you are God, it is good and fitting. The idea that people would oppose God, reject God, uh, suppress God... Oppress God, ignore God, reject God, rebel on God, mock God is ludicrous and awful and heartbreaking. The ten plagues are God saying, you're not better than me. You're not bigger than me. You're not more powerful than me. You cannot stop me. Don't go against me. It's God sending that message. And as you know with the story, Pharaoh doesn't. Repent. He keeps opposing God. 
Read with me, if you will, at Exodus chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 8. We're going to go through the end of the chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this You shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. There shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood and the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank. So that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. As the Lord had said, Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. This is the first of the ten plagues. It's the blood, the water turned to blood. But as you see, the, the, the first plague is preceded by another sign. Many have called this the 11, 11 signs, not necessarily the 10 plagues. And the first is that uh, he turns his, his staff into a serpent. He does that there. Now, certainly that's not any punishment. That's a sign showing that Moses is coming with the authority of God. We've talked about this before in Exodus. The question is, is Pharaoh going to realize that he is opposing God? And I want to say here at the outset, even as my introduction said, this is the question that every human being deals with in life. Will you acknowledge, will you admit that you have opposed God with your life? Will you admit that you have sinned against God? Will you admit that there are things in your life that aren't right? Will you turn from those? Will you turn to God for mercy instead of opposing God with sinfulness and rebellion? 
And this is what Moses is doing to Pharaoh, bringing this to light, asking him to let the, uh, the Israelites go. And how is Pharaoh going to respond? Pharaoh's not going to listen to him. So he brings power and authority uh, in the form of miracles. And Pharaoh still is not going to listen. But there are ten plagues. And years ago with the, the kids in Super Church, I wanted to memorize the ten plagues. I think it's helpful to memorize things like the Great Commandments and the Great Commission and the, the Great... Um, the, the Ten Commandments and, and even the Ten Plagues, just, just for our sake. So I want to teach you all a little rhyme, if you will, that will help you remember the Ten Plagues. It's always worked for me and it work, it'll work for you. Blood, then frogs. Gnats, then flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies. That's the first five. Blood, then frogs. Gnats, then flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts. Darkness to the eyes. Then comes number ten, the firstborn dies. It's easy to remember those. And as you are familiar with the plagues, as a believer in Christ, you will say, my God is big. My God is strong. My God will not be defeated. My God will not be opposed. Blood, then frogs, gnats, then flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes. Then comes number ten, the firstborn dies. Pharaoh, in his sinfulness, would not listen to God. And so God would just turn up the heat and turn up the heat and turn up the heat. And he pressed down a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And it don't matter if you're the most powerful king of the most powerful nation on the planet, whether you're Nebuchadnezzar with Babylon or whether you're Pharaoh with Egypt or whether you're somebody else in the world, you cannot oppose God. And when you try to, God will oppose you. This is what we see in the plagues. Let's start with this passage here, chapter 7, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a servant. God knows that this would be Pharaoh's response. God knows that people who do not believe in him are asking you to prove it. And even when you try to prove it, if you do it well or if you do it not, they're going to resist. How many times have we seen a debate or an argument between two people about, you know, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about the virgin birth? Or what do you think about creation? And you have all this stuff only to see that it actually never goes anywhere. The person who, the person who is uh, predisposed to, I'm not going to believe that, even after they've heard the evidence or the proof says, I'm not going to believe that. Pharaoh says to them, prove it. If God really sent you, and if God is really telling me to let the people go, then why don't you prove it? And so he takes a stick, throws it on the ground, and turns it into a serpent. Pharaoh's not impressed by that. Just like you know many lost people who are not impressed by the truth. Even as we sing a song like on Christ the solid rock I stand, even as I stand here this morning uh, beside two of my sons, and even as I think about how awesome that song is, it's an old song, but it's a good song, and the truth of that is, is powerful. And even as we sing that song this morning, I sit here and I think, wow, I love that song, I love that truth, and I love the Jesus behind it. I love the way Micah puts songs together. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And I love it that as we're singing here this morning, me and you, or many of you are thinking, man, I love God and these songs are helping me get this. But you and I both know that there are a lot of people who would frown at those songs. 
There's a lot of people who maybe were even standing here today who didn't want to sing it. They didn't like it. They didn't like the idea of it. Too cool to sing them or too proud to believe them. And that's the reality. This is Pharaoh. And so he, he turns the, 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 the staff into a serpent. Verse 10 says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. He did that. Y'all, that's a miracle. You know that. But verse 11 says, But then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. Now, notice that it says secret arts. You know that there's magic in the world, and I'm sure you've seen magic tricks, right? There's a lot of magic tricks that you've seen that I can't explain them. I don't know how they do it. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens out there, and I don't know if there's an explanation to it. Now, we don't exactly know how they did this. The Bible does say it was secret arts. I don't know if God made it happen to further harden uh, Pharaoh's heart. I don't know if it didn't really happen. It just looked like it happened. But I will say this. Whatever happened, it was not equal to what God was doing. It was not. Because watch. The magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. Verse 12 for each man cast down his serpent, his staff, and they became serpents. But look what it says next. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. So you have God's man doing the miracle first. Then Pharaoh's magicians do something similar to that, resembles it. The Bible calls it secret arts. That was enough to Pharaoh to say, I'm not impressed with that. I'm not listening to your God. I'm not letting the people go. I'm not repenting of my sins. I don't care about your God. But then at that point, the, the one snake staff swallows up the other snake staffs. As if to say that God's power here is the power that is to be recognized. Secret arts is not the same as Almighty God speaking to you to let them go. Yet Pharaoh does not repent. Verse 13 says, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. You remember that God has already told Moses and Aaron that even with all of this preaching and speaking to God, to Pharaoh in the name of God, Pharaoh was not going to listen. This is the way sinfulness works. Hardened hearts. And oftentimes we are thinking, man, I just wish that, I just wish that he would say something that would change their mind. I just wish that my son or daughter would find a friend or a boyfriend that would really point them to Christ. And that would really make a difference in them. And the truth is, is that when somebody's heart is hardened, they don't want to believe. They don't. People don't want to. Their heart is hardened. And the Bible teaches us that the only thing that stops a hardened heart is when God breaks a hardened heart, when God softens a hardened heart. The Bible actually says it like this, that God goes inside to the person and takes out the hardened stone heart and gives them a living heart. And so I want to ask you here today, as you think about your heart, is your heart alive to the things of God or is your heart dead to the things of God? Is your heart hardened and therefore insensitive or not sensitive to what God is doing? Does the truth of God come to you and you're like, I, I, I don't care? Does it mean anything to me? I can be just as good. See, Pharaoh's reaction here, although not equal, was enough to keep him where he was. What he was seeing in the truth of God or the power of God was not enough in this situation to call him out of his sins and remove his hardened heart. In other words, Pharaoh was saying... What God is doing here, I can do well enough on my own. And I want to warn you folks today. 
that you would never be the person who thinks what I see as the working of God, I can do on my own. God is not showing Pharaoh everything right here. He could. Folks, we don't come to God if He's good enough for us. We don't come to God if He really is powerful. We don't come to God if He'll fix this. We come to God because we know He's God. He's good. He is for us. He is the best thing for us. Pharaoh was set up. Pharaoh was set up to not believe. Therefore, the the proof that he asked for was not enough to convince him. Commentator Stewart says, No longer were the mighty acts of God confined to demonstrations for a private audience like they had seen before. Now all the citizens of the nation began to feel the effect of God's wrath and the pressure began to ratchet up on Pharaoh. It was one thing for him to ignore display intended to convince him of God's power, but another to ignore the cries of his people for one of their most basic needs. Another commentator says this is God's method of dealing with sinners. He comes upon them gradually. Notice, God has already spoken to Pharaoh before comes at him again with the staff. And now he's about to come at him again with the plagues. And each time it's just a little bit more. All the while, Pharaoh should bow his heart, bow his knee, bow his head, and acknowledge God as king. But he won't. Verse 13 says, still... Pharaoh swallowed, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them. I want to ask you here today, if there is something in you, in your life, in your world, to which God is speaking to you and you know that it's wrong, but you won't listen. Can I remind you today that you're like Pharaoh? You're like Pharaoh in that regard. And while there may be 99 things in your life that you are thinking about that have you doing well, are there some things where you will not listen? Is God having to possibly ratchet it up a little bit? Does God need to to come into your world and to show you that He is King? Don't go against Him. Because as you know, reading this story, When you get to verse 13 and Pharaoh says, I don't care. You know that you can't have that attitude with God. You know that God's about to bear down. You ever been to a wrestling match? I love watching these high school wrestling matches. You ever seen when somebody gets somebody where they can pin them or they get them where they're about to tap out? Once they get them in that position, you've ever seen any fight with tapping out. Once they get them there, they're just tightening it up and tightening up. And the person that's on the bottom is trying to resist, right? They're trying to, they're trying to hold out, hoping there's a chance. And the person on the top is just going to tighten it up and tighten it up and tighten it up. Until the person finally says, Mercy, uncle, you got me. This is what we're seeing here with God and Pharaoh. 
But I want to sound the alarm to you that it is not the way of the people of God to not listen. This is Pharaoh. This is the God hater. This is the proud, 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 arrogant, wrong man who says, I'm not listening to God. I'm not. Can I warn you today to not be that? Don't be the one who doesn't listen. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. This is interesting here because we're not sure why Pharaoh goes to the Nile. Back in those days, people didn't bathe all the time necessarily. It didn't seem that way. They didn't necessarily bathe in the Nile, so I'm not sure why. Maybe he just goes for a walk every morning. Maybe he's going there, down there to get water. We do know that Pharaoh's daughter was going down to the water. That's where she found Moses. Remember that? So we're not sure why. But he's going down there. And God tells Moses, go and meet him. And I want you yet again to see. I don't want to be in that position. And perhaps you, you can identify with Pharaoh here. Perhaps you found yourself living in sin, being a disobedient person. And perhaps you know and, you're, and God is just pressing upon you. And you live with conviction and you try to ignore it and you feel guilty. And God is just pressing it in. And you know that God's thinking, tomorrow morning I'm going to go meet him. I'm going to go meet him. And you see here yet again. He says Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He's not going to listen. He refuses. Go and meet him. I want to also point out to you that when people are rebellious against God, God goes and meets them. That when people are rebellious against God, God goes and meets them. Aren't you thankful that when you've seen in your life sinfulness, ways that you know you're wrong, God came to you, convicted you of your sins, and you repented? Aren't you thankful for the Spirit's work in your life? Because just in that passage in Romans 8 that we just studied Wednesday night with the young adults that says that those in the flesh are hostile to God, the Bible does say that those who are in the Spirit have life and peace with God. Aren't you thankful for life and peace with God? Not because you're doing well, but because He's drawing you back. So God goes to meet him. Verse 15. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's getting out, going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. See, it's interesting that he says take the staff again. Because can you, can you imagine that confrontation? It, it sounds like it was kind of the next morning. Can you imagine being Pharaoh and all your pride and going on your walk like you do every morning and you run into Moses again? He's thinking, what do you want? But it's not just Moses this time, you know, and perhaps he's thinking Moses is going to apologize or Moses is going to try to clear things up a little bit or, or try to reason with him about why that didn't go so well. No. Moses is there with the staff. At this point, Pharaoh is recognizing the staff is just a little bit of the power of God. Now, it's not God. It's not necessarily the power of God, but it represents on a small scale the power of God. Every time that staff is seen, God is using it to display what God can only do. And don't you think for a second that Pharaoh doesn't have in the back of his mind, not only that his magicians duplicated the staffs to snakes, but don't you think for a second that he's not aware in the back of his mind that this staff ate all of his staffs. Romans 1 teaches us 
that there's not a person on the planet that doesn't have in the back of their mind somewhere, God's right. God's right. I'm wrong. Now, Romans 1 also teaches us that we're able to take that thought and put it right here and push it down and push it down and push it down to where we almost hardly feel anything from it. And it teaches us that we will take that awareness of God from our mind and push it, push it, maybe even stomp on it, push it down to where we have almost completely removed the thought and conviction, awareness that God's right. God's right and I'm wrong. But I want to remind you that every one of us have in our minds, at least on some scale, God's right. God is right. And my sinful ways are wrong. So when he runs into Moses, you know that that's what he's seeing. That's what he's thinking. Verse 16 says, And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. He's already said that. But so far, you have not obeyed. I want to take take a second right here. That is hard to do that. And we remember Moses making excuse after excuse. Nobody likes to be confrontational. Maybe some of you do. UK UFL fans like to be confrontational. But most people don't like to be confrontational. And I want you to see that what Moses is doing right here is really, really hard. It is hard to do that. It is hard to to look at somebody or perhaps email somebody or perhaps call somebody on the phone and say, you're wrong. And I love you, but you're wrong. And I want you to see here that Moses is doing something difficult and challenging. But I won't, and I hope you people of God, Christ lovers, will listen to this. If we're going to be faithful, repentant people, that has to happen at times. And I ask you to not be so proud that you can't take a rebuke. And I ask you to not be so ungodly that you won't repent. And I ask you to not be so non-church But you can't appreciate what it means to be the church. Moses is going one man to another and saying, you're not obeying God. That's manhood. That's toughness. So let's see what happens. But so far you have not obeyed. Verse 17, thus says the Lord. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Now let me stop there. You remember that's what I've been trying to say all morning. That this is the issue. Pharaoh is not acknowledging God is God. Pharaoh is not acknowledging you are the great and glorious one. You are the one that my whole life and everything goes to. You are the one deserving of all of my praise and attention. Pharaoh is not acknowledging that. That's what is wrong. In a very similar way, I know you're not king of Egypt, okay? I know you're not so proud that you call yourself ungodly and non-Christian. But anything in our life that would cause us to not bow to Jesus is the same issue here. God's concern for Pharaoh 
is that he does not know I am the Lord. You're not recognizing me as king. You're not living like a people with a God. You're not aware that I'm the Father in heaven. And this is what God is setting out to prove to Pharaoh. Verse 17, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Now, in our, in our day, it's hard for us to really grasp why this would be so awful, but I want you to know this is awful. We do have the Ohio River in Louisville. We know not all cities even have a river, but we have the river here and everybody in the room knows what the Ohio River is. It's very special and significant to Louisville and and, and that's awesome, but we're still not actually all that dependent on it. But in Egypt, everything flows from the Nile. The Nile is a god to them. It is more important for the necessities of life for them than anything else. They get fish from it that they eat. They get water from it that they do everything with. The Nile to them was their God. They indeed worshipped the Nile. And God is coming and saying, you have not obeyed me. So I will take what you obey. I will take what you trust in. I will take what is your security and I will ruin it. This is not the first time that God does this. God will take things from you that you are more into than God. Sometimes it may be health. Sometimes it may be jobs. But God is able to do that. He doesn't always do it. But He can. He does. He comes to Pharaoh and says, I've told you, I've told you, we've warned you, we've warned you. You're not going to listen, so I'll turn the water to blood. And when the water turns to blood, all the fish will die. And when, a lot, when there are a lot of dead fish, it stinks. You know this, right? One of the great pranks that you can do on somebody is to throw dead fish in the back of the car during summertime. i got a buddy who works at Mike Lennox. And a lot of times, when he gets off work, he'll bring me a great supply of crab legs. I like crab legs. An order of crab legs costs a lot of money at a restaurant, and he'll bring me like a five-pound box of crab legs because they're left over at the end of the night. I had some last night, actually. I ate a whole bunch of crab legs, like pounds and pounds of crab legs last night as I watched the great basketball game on TV. But Val had been cooking a dessert. The house smelled awesome, like a cinnamon roll, uh, icing, sugar. The house smelled awesome. Then I busted out a five-pound box of crab legs. And Val comes back from putting Carolina to bed and she says, what, what, what happened in here? When I left, it smelled great like dessert and I come back and it stinks like fish in here. I said, well, I'll hurry up and get them eaten and I'll take the box outside and I'll throw it away. That's true, right? Fish stink. Dead fish stink worse. And God has made the most precious thing to these people stink. It's awful. On top of that, he makes it where they can't drink the water. It's blood. Well, look how bad it is. 
Verse 19, and the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds and their pools of water so that they become blood. But keep going. So right there, he says everywhere. It's not just the Nile, but every single place that water reaches, rivers, canals, ponds, pools, everything that has water will not be good water for them. He takes it a step further, though. Even the pots of water. Look what it says. So that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. If you had a pot of water outside your house, it was going to be bad. If you had a pot of water inside your home, it was going to be bad. If you had a cup, a bowl, anything was going to be ruined. Now, you remember at the beginning I said that the plagues were not just punishment? They are really signs? Some of them were severe. But I want you to see here, this is not killing anybody. This is not God ruining them. This is God getting their attention. This is God inconveniencing them. This is God making things hard. Water is not now completely unavailable. You're going to see they can go get water other places. They can dig down into the ground and find water. But everything that they have known and all of their conveniences are now taken away. Every single person now, not just Pharaoh, but the whole nation of Egypt is now thinking, great. We have no good water. Who did this? And the only answer, God. Well, who's God? Well, good question. That's what I'm asking. That's what we're trying to figure out. Who's doing this? Moses is there saying, God's doing this. God's doing this. And folks, the point here is that life is about recognizing God is God. Life, indeed, is about God. Any way that confuses that or misunderstands that or will not accept that is wrong. God is God. So that's what happens. Verse 20. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned, turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But, now look what happens next. But the, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them. I want to stop there for just a second. It was God's idea to make the water blood. Wouldn't you think that if you were going to mimic or copy or parallel the power of God, that you would have reversed it? That would have been a confrontation, right? That would have been, your God's not anything, wham, and remove the power that he just did. And again, just like I told you, they tried to copy the power of God by making their staff serpents, and yet God's staff swallowed it up. Here, they try to act like they're on the same level as God, and so they do what appears to be the same thing. But it's not as powerful as God. It's not as powerful as God. But yet again with Pharaoh, it serves to appease him. That can't be God. I want you to see, too, what hardness of heart looks like And that now his country is miserable and suffering. One commentator says the nation's great waterway and source of life was turned odious and made into a source of death, demonstrating the sovereign power of the God of Israel and the subordinate impotence of the Nile. God has just demonstrated that the Nile is not the thing that should have your attitude and devotion and love. It's not. Yet they will not listen. 
And Pharaoh is able to say, well, just because they did that, I'm not going to believe. Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Verse 23. Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not even he did not take even this to heart. The reason why, y'all, is because he did not want his life to be about God. Very fitting with our call to worship today was Psalm 53. Psalm 53 says that there are none who do good. The Bible would teach us that there are none who want God as king over them. Left to our own, we want to be king, and perhaps God help us if that's not going well. Just as the theme of this passage is blood, the first plague is blood. I want to tell you of the blood of God. The Bible says that it is only through the shed blood of Christ, the death of Christ on the cross, in which sins can be washed away. Jesus died to bring us to God. And so while the theme of this passage is blood, to do what? To get a sinner's attention when his heart and heart is hardened. Can I tell you that it was also blood that gets a sinner's heart clean? If you're here today, perhaps Pharaoh connects with you more than anybody else. Hardened heart against God. I don't want to listen. I don't want to do well. I don't want to obey. I don't love God. I'm not centered on God. Give me proof. Can I tell you here today that God can fix that? That God, in His love for you, sent Christ to die. And that Jesus dying on the cross, spilling His blood, is the way and the only way in which God saves people. And if you would believe that, you'll be forgiven of your sins and made right with God. Children of God. The very issue here, the only thing that God is asking from Pharaoh is that he would repent and let the people go, is the only thing that God is asking of anybody else, that they would repent and say, God, you're right. God, you're right. Or do you want to remain proud and in your sins and say, I don't need you, God. One commentator says, if one is predisposed to doubt God, one will always be attracted to natural explanations for all the Bible's supernatural phenomena. From creation out of nothing to the resurrection of Jesus. Another commentator says the design of the devil is only to delude his devotees and amuse them, not to do them any real kindness, listen to this, but to keep them from doing a real kindness to themselves by repenting and returning to their God. We read this passage and we think the, the staff to serpent or the, or the water to blood does not equal the power of God, but it was certainly enough to make Pharaoh say, okay. And the excuses that we can mount up for the way that we are and the the reasons we don't repent and the reasons we don't walk in holiness and the reasons we don't obey God go and go and go. They seem to work for us. Yet here we see God in this first plague setting His focus on Pharaoh. And if you know the story, you're going to see by the time we get to the last one. This will go on. The second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth. Each time God will press in a little bit harder and Pharaoh considers whether he should break and give it to God. But each time he doesn't, he hardens his heart. He doesn't need God. He's good enough. But as you know, nobody beats God. Not even Pharaoh. There will be a time at the end where God reigns. 
I want to ask you here today, does God reign in you? Do you want God to be your God? Do you want Jesus to be your king? Will you repent and turn of your sins and surrender to him? Look what it says here. This passage ends. Verse 24. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Like I said, God is not torturing them here. God is not making it where they're about to die. He just made it hard on them. One commentator says that God warns before He wounds. I want to remind you that God is not just coming to Pharaoh to be harsh to him. God has repeatedly told Pharaoh to turn. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. The issue here today with the plagues is that God is God. What will be your attitude toward Him? Will you look to God and acknowledge Him as King? Or will you stay proud? May we not be a people who will not look to Christ for freedom. Who will not look to Christ for life. I ask you today to look into this passage and see. Are you like Pharaoh? Are you hardened? Or do you see the power of God and run to Him? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the plagues. Hard passages to deal with, Father, in which we see you bearing in on those that oppose you. Yet, God, we know that you will not be opposed. God will not be mocked. Do not be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. God, I pray today. That you would make us aware that you are God and you are on your throne and you would make us a people who love that. God, we love it that you are God. We love it that you know what's best and we love it that you will discipline us and train us and pull us. Father, may we be aware of what it means to have a hardened heart and to be against you and opposed to you, Father. And may we run from that and may we be like Moses, able to help people see that wicked way and to turn from it. May we not give approval of it. Father, we recognize you as glorious and powerful. May we not be so arrogant to go against it. We're reminded, God, from Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.